How are y'all this morning? <laughs> that went from nothing to extremely loud. Um, I'm the one that charges these, so I'm going to turn that off. Uh, Doug, thank you very much. Uh, I've had several conversations with Scott um, over the years that he was here. We worked together. And, um, he would always talk about needing time to go um, hear someone preach, and he took advantage of that a lot and, and went and listened to speakers. And I, I got that to a certain extent, but this morning I got that even more. Um, your spirit this morning served me um, and led me to a place I needed to be. So thank you for that. Um, we're going to talk about hope today. And uh, all you guys know Tyler, and you heard his story a few uh, months ago. And you ever gone on a, like a road trip that was kind of planned, but not really? Uh, when I was a kid, we would go on vacations, and my dad was never hesitant to stop at any place he saw and take however much time he needed to look at an historical site that he thought was cool or whatever, and I always enjoyed that. And that's kind of how this morning's going to be. <laughs> we, have, we have planned out a little bit. We have a, an outline, but we're not afraid of going wherever Tyler wants to go. That probably scared Tyler even more. <laughs> um, first of all, when I was a kid, if you guys know me very well, uh, especially like Blake and some of you guys that I meet with um, that are sports fans, uh, I don't really get into sports that much. Uh, it's just not... It's not something that I get overly enthused about. If someone's watching at their house, I'll sit down and not make a big deal about it, and I'll pay attention. But if you ask me a question about who's in whatever playoff or anything like that, I'm going to be clueless. And I went to Oklahoma State University, and that was very fitting um, for me because it didn't really matter um, how much I got into it. We were probably not going to beat OU anyway. So uh, when, when friends would you know, rub it into me, I could honestly say I didn't care. I, I went to school there for a couple of years, and I went to two football games. And those two football games, one I went just because Meredith was there, and the other one I went because I had some other friends going. So, um, But that has not always been the case. When I was a kid, I don't know if this will reach all the way over there. Let me grab some things. i got some stuff to show you. Bring out some stuff out of the closet. All right, when I was a kid, there was one sport that I enjoyed a lot, and it was it was basketball. Well, just because that would make sense. I don't know. Um, <laughs> well, I do so things I the hard these way. basketball cards, and I have a whole binder full of Michael Jordan basketball cards. And uh, I don't know if they're worth any money or not, and I don't want anybody to steal them. So don't meet me out in the parking lot after this and think that you can take these because I still enjoy them. Um, I was looking through them this morning. I went out in our storage shed and got these. But I have pages upon pages of Michael Jordan cards and then some rookie cards of some people that turned into big stars later on. I would uh, collect these things. Here's another 10 full of basketball cards. Um, here's a Michael Jordan's mo uh, playground movie sponsored by Whole Grain Wheaties. <laughs> it is VHS, and I do not well, – I do have a VCR player. I got my, my grandmother's. It's under a bed. Um, have not watched this in a while. But I wore this thing out when I was a kid because it had all the highlights of all the awesome dunks that he made. And uh, I would put it in today and watch it again if I took the time to hook the VCR up. Copyright 91, if you're curious. Did they not have YouTube then? <laughs> we did not have YouTube then, no. <laughs> um, but I'm saying that because I had a passion. Michael Jordan was the man. If you watch sports in the 90s or late 80s, he was the NBA guy. I mean, he's still considered the best player in the league. And I was all about it. 
And I was, me and my dad had a, a, a light pole out in our yard that he hung a basketball goal on. We had a gravel driveway. And we'd go out there at night and use that light pole. And we would shoot and shoot and shoot until we were wore out. And I played basketball when I was in elementary school. As I got older and realized I was not extremely talented at basketball, no matter how much I like Michael Jordan, um, those dreams and aspirations slowly faded away. Um, but I hoped, I honestly hoped, my cousin asked me one time, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I was like in fourth or fifth grade. And I said, I want to be Michael Jordan. Like, duh. And she said, well, that might be an issue. And it kind of threw me off because I never thought about that being an issue. In my mind, I would be six foot six and I would be in the NBA because Michael Jordan was six foot six. And if I hoped it enough, maybe it would happen. And that's how, hope, that's how we approach hope a lot of times is we hope in things that we can't really put a lot of trust in. It's just an, an idea and it'd be really nice. And I, we talked about hope a few weeks ago with our youth group or this past week, whenever we met. Um, we talked about hope and I had them look up the definition of hope and what it means to hope. And it's to expect a certain outcome to come. But also the second part of the definition is, is to trust. So it's not just to expect it, like, yeah, it might or might not happen. Hope is really, you're planning on this outcome to, to happen. And when it doesn't, that's when our disappointment comes. Because a lot of times we hope in the wrong things. So Tyler, I'm gonna give him a little chance just to recap. Some of you guys are here for his story, some of you heard it online, but he's just gonna briefly kind of summarize his personal journey, and he's gonna tie that in and give you an update on his grandpa in a little bit. Okay. Hello, uh, quick little funny story. This morning when I was asleep, I had a dream that I slept in and I missed church. And I finally got here and everybody was kind of sitting around looking, like waiting for me and it was like time to go and eat. And then I woke up and I thought I was late for church, but I wasn't, so anyways. Uh, <laughs> thank you. So uh, yeah, I did speak a few weeks ago or a couple months ago, I guess now. And uh, just a quick little recap. Uh, so I had a, I, long story short, I had a eating disorder. Uh, there were several different events throughout my life from early childhood leading up to that. Um, so I had an eating disorder and then uh, that translated into, wasn't necessarily just food stuff. It was a lot of over-exercising, kind of an exercise disorder. Had a lot of mental, or not mental, but uh, self-image issues. I had a lot of, uh, I always wanted to be the man. Or I wanted to be, I, always, I, I remember uh, when I was little, my uncle, my my mom's brother, every time I'd go to my grandparents, everybody talked about my uncle. Everybody had a story about him, how athletic he was. I think he even set records in uh, track whenever he was a senior or whatever. And he had, he wanted to go and play OU football and then something happened to his knee and God had other plans for him. But besides that, he was just always super athletic. I remember growing thinking when I was little, I was like, I really want to be like him. I want people to tell stories of me like they do about him. And so kind of like Clay, I was never the most athletic practice. I didn't have a lot of uh, coordination when it came with putting balls into hoops or whatever it is. And so uh, that just never really was where I fit in. And so uh, and even when I tried to play sports, I never really fit in with the, uh, a lot of the jocks or whoever, even though it was mad as I wanted to, I never did. And so, uh, so that kind of created this idea that if, you know, if I was fitter, if I was if I was, if I was, I was kind of a chunky kid that people would like me more and I'd be more respected. And what happened is, is I did start losing weight and stuff. Uh, it kind of tended to happen. It seemed like people respected me more. I kind of fit in with the cool kids a little more. And uh, so that felt really good. Then after, by the time I got into high school, I really kind of 
was like, all right, I don't want to play sports no more. <laughs> I got into a FFA, and luckily my senior year, Clay was actually my teacher, so and they're a few years older than me. But uh, so that's kind of where our relationship began. And so I, so I devoted a lot of time into the FFA, and that was really great. And then I started kind of putting some more weight on again, and uh, come to my junior year, I was up to like 220 pounds-ish. And uh, some of that stuff in junior high and early on started kind of coming back. And so I started, I said, this, I remember the day I'd, I was out working Pat Loftus out in the hay meadow one day. I said, this is enough, enough is enough. And I decided I was going to start losing the weight and, and keep it off. And I was going to be a, a fit guy that everybody wanted to talk about. And that's what happened. I think the time, I remember I, was, I lost a few, little bit of weight. And then from the time I left for uh, Christmas break my senior year, I got lost like 20, 30 pounds over that those few weeks. And I remember I got I came back, people were like, Man, Tyler, you look different. Some people even told me I look sick, but I kept thinking, No, I got this under control. And so it started becoming started uh becoming into a control issue. So uh after high school I really didn't know what I wanted to do. I went I was going to college a little bit and working a little bit, and I had no idea what I wanted to do. And uh but I just knew I wanted to fit in and I wanted to, you know. So I didn't really, I felt like I didn't have a whole lot of control in my life. So I kept controlling the eating disorder and stuff. So I kept controlling my calories and I kept controlling my workouts. And, if, and eventually turned to the point where if, uh, if I uh, messed up on one of those, I would punish myself thinking that next time I'd make it harder to mess up. And so it became, turned into beating myself or uh, if I ate too much one day, I'd just go work out for hours upon hours and, uh, and of course, you know, that's just not healthy. So even though exercise and fitness is a healthy thing, I turned it into something that's not healthy. And so uh, uh, then back up to probably last year, the year before, um, me and uh, Sophie started dating. She's my wife now, so she's still with me. But <laughs> so uh, anyways, I remember there was this one particular evening we were hanging out and uh, I don't, when you when you start getting like I start struggle a lot with depression too, when you start getting depressed and you have a lot of anger, depression, anger, and just kind of really, kind of like brothers and sisters almost. I mean, one usually comes with the other, and so uh, I remember one night I just I don't remember what set me off, but something did, and I remember uh, I just remember every time I had these little outbursts, I would just throw stuff around and break it, and you know until I was just exhausted, and then. So that's what I was doing. I remember I was just throwing stuff across the room or breaking stuff. And until I was exhausted, I remember I just kind of fell down. And I kind of expected Sophie to leave, but she didn't. And she just kind of picked me up and said everything's going to be okay. And so at that point, I felt completely naked, not in a physical sense, but as a, as a uh, I don't know, mental, I guess, or whatever you'd say it. It was like she's really seen who I am. And so, you know, my whole life I've kind of tried to build up this idea that I'm a man who I'm not, you know, I'm a fit guy, I'm an exercise guru, you know, I kept having these things I kept hiding behind, but she, then once all those were gone and she saw who, saw me for who I really am and she stayed with me, you know, that's a, that's a big deal to me. So that's not, I remember thinking we're going to be together forever. And so, uh, uh, she helped me, she convinced, no, she didn't convince me, but she helped me realize that, Hey, I've got an issue. We got to get this taken care of. So, uh, Told my parents what was all been going on, and started seeing a uh, some therapists and doctors and stuff, and did that for a little bit, and that helped a little bit, but I didn't feel like it helped. I mean, what you it's hard to go to a doctor, and you know, you just it's hard for them. To, it's not 
it's not something you can just fix from the outside in. It's something I had to fix myself. And so the biggest question I always struggled with was why was I doing this? You know, why was I, why was I so angry at myself every time I ate too much cake or every time I uh, missed a workout? You know, it just become the point it was just super unhealthy. And uh, so that's, that's kind of the journey that I've really been living the past year or so, just trying to figure out why that has. And I've gotten to a good men's group every week, and with me telling my story and everything that's happened, it's helped me realize all these things. Every time I tell all this again, I realize something else. And so the most recent one was I always wanted to be someone who I'm not. I always had kind of self-identity issues, and I always wanted to be like my uncle, you know. I just always wanted people to tell me that, like, oh, man, that Tyler Giddy, man, he is athletic. He is so cool. I wish I could be like him when I grow up, you know. So that's, I think that's just I've always wanted people. I've always wanted to be that kind of guy. And so I've learned to kind of – I've been learning that that stuff doesn't matter. And people don't want to be your friend or like you for those things. They want to be your friend for who you really are. And so uh, that kind of leads Tell me up think, to today. Uh, Tell us, like, during, during the darkest time – and what you just kind of recapped. And um, first of all, I, to be you're 23. Yeah. 23 years old and willing to sit up here and talk through the darkest times in your life. And he shared. He came to our youth group and shared a story. He shared a story at First Baptist and. Um, shared it twice. Twice. Yeah. So over the course of the past few months, he's been very open and honest with people about this journey that has been on. And I've seen people. Um, personally, that have been affected by his story and have, have been willing to share theirs because of it. So when we put ourselves in a vulnerable, vulnerable place, we hope that people's opinions of us won't change, and we hope that we'll be accepted, and we hope that they'll hear our heart behind it, but we know that's not always the case. When you're dealing with people, there's, there's going to be some judgment. And a lot of times it's because of what they can't deal with that those come back on you. And we blame ourselves for that, and it puts us in a hard position. But at the end of the day, our hope is in Christ. And that's where we're going to move to in a little bit. But yeah, you know, every time I, I would speak, one of the biggest fears was people would I'd get done, and people were like, "So what? It's nothing. You don't know my problems, or that's nothing compared to what I've got to deal with." And so I always hoped that that would never happen. Mm-hmm. You know, so that was, that was probably one of the biggest things I hoped for when I was to tell my story and stuff. So, but simple um, side note: What did hope? Was hope anything that you thought about during that time? Yes and no. Um, I mean, when you get in a super dark place, I think I kept hoping for things that it was. When I think of hope, I think of it sometimes it's kind of the easy way out. I can hope I win the lottery, but there's nothing I can do to unless I spend a ton of money in tickets <laughs> that you probably end up going in the hole. But uh, you know, I think I'd, I always hope that these things would just happen. I didn't want to have to work for them, you know. And so uh, I didn't really want to have to expose myself. So I think hope did definitely have a big part of it, you know. And I, I don't think I ever – well, no, I, I did. I'll be honest. I, when I, there were some of the darkest times I would get really depressed and stuff. I would kind of lose sight of God. And I just – I honestly thought he would kind of been kind of done with my life and maybe I already did everything I needed to do that already kind of peaked or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so, you know – there was a big part of me that hoped that God wasn't done with me, but there was so much darkness that I was living through that it was definitely trying to overcome that hope. But ultimately, the hope came through and God pulled through for me. So the the uh, you talk about antonyms. I'm a teacher, I'm not an English teacher, but I know what an antonym is. 
Miss Miller be proud. Um, <laughs> anonym of hope is hopeless, and that's what it means to not have hope. And the very premise of hope, we, uh, we kind of abuse that word a lot. Um, just like Tyler said, we, we hope we win the lottery. We can look at the odds of that, and we can drive by the casino and all the construction that they do and figure out that our hope probably isn't um, in the right spot. Um, we can hope in a lot of things. We can hope in, in acceptance, and we can change our lives so that people will accept us. We can change things about us. Well, people don't like me when I look this way, so if I look this way, maybe they'll accept me, and I hope that they do. <laughs> and that's a big part of Tyler's and all of our stories. Uh, Meredith and I, we've been married for uh, seven years this summer. Yeah. <laughs> we've been together 13, and uh, I'll be 30 this year, so almost half of my life I've been with Meredith, which has been a great thing for me because she's kept me in line uh, and loved me. But if you guys know our, our journey um, through our marriage, and so we've shared it with several people in this room, um, we'd always dreamed of having kids. And we do now. We have twins. But we had come to a place where we were kind of hopeless um, about that. We really were. And a lot of people in this room can... You know what I'm talking about. And it got to the point where month after month, I knew it was coming. And uh, it, was, it was hard for both of us. And just knowing that as much as we hoped and as much as we wanted to have kids, that there might be a possibility that it wouldn't happen was heartbreaking. And that really was all our focus was on. And it was really dark moments for us because it's hard to, to see the justice in God blessing people that don't want kids with kids. And then here's two people that love each other and really want them and are wanting to raise them in a godly way, and it's not working out. And that lasted for a couple of years. And um, we sought some medical attention, and it still didn't work. She was on some medications for over a year that did not work. And all they kept saying was, we'll just give it more time. We'll give this medication more time. And when you're running out of hope, time is not something that you're very considerate of. And we're going to look at a verse right quick just because it goes with this, exactly what we're talking about. We run out of hope because we become impatient with God. Um, that's the bottom line. Mark's been with us in Romans 12, and he asked me to pick up on that this morning. And this Romans 12, 12, um, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. And if Mark's done anything over the past few months, he's made me realize that you can take a couple of words and you can dive into them for quite a while. <laughs> Um, he, I think if we contacted whoever puts out the Guinness Book of Records, we probably could hold the record for the longest time a pastor has spent on four words in any church, I mean, multiple weeks. But we, we can read that really fast I and mean, be joyful in hope. Well, yeah, we hope. For, when I was a kid and wanted to be Michael Jordan, I was joyful in that. I mean, I'm going to be him. And when Tyler's working out and everyone's getting all these compliments, that joy comes back because we're hoping in those things. We're hoping for that acceptance. We're hoping for that dream. But when that runs out, we realize that the world does change, and the world is not, I mean, it's not something that's going to just keep living our dream for us. Um, there's things that we're going to have to do and things we're going to have to accept. Um, the time part of that is really hard. Um, patient in affliction. When those afflictions come and your hope is dwindling, patience is not something that most of us are willing to even think about. And... We can say all day that God's time is not our time, and God's time is, we say that, but when we're in those moments and those emotions are, are playing a big part of that, that's really hard to actually live out and comprehend. So, um, yeah, so our journey is one that ended different than some, and we've been very blessed, but it took us a long time to get there, and I would like to think that our hope 
And God was not dependent on us having kids or not. But honestly, can't say if it is or not, because now we've been blessed with what we prayed for. And it's really easy to go, well, that took a couple years. But there's some people that never get the things that they've asked for from God. And um, we got to still find our hope in Him and not in our circumstances. And that's something that's really, really hard to actually live out. So, Tyler, share a little bit about uh, your grandpa with us. Uh, in case any of y'all don't know, my grandpa had been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer a few months ago. Uh, it was very all of a sudden. I mean, apparently pancreatic cancer grows really fast, and now he's got all kinds of tumors in his stomach area. And he was in China for, I don't know, a few weeks doing some mission work. And when he got back, he started getting some uh, stomach pain. I think he had some before he left, but he just kind of didn't really think about it. Didn't, you know, he just, you know, you never know sometimes. And so uh, he got back. It started getting bad. He started getting a lot of pains. And finally went to the doctor. And uh, they did some scans. And they called him and said, hey, you got to come back here. And they found some stuff. And they found some masses. Uh, it turns out that was tumors and so, you know, when you find out that, you know, that's never really any good news, especially in, on your pancreas. And I think it's in his pancreas, and he's got tumors pushing up against his kidney. And that particular tumor that's pushing up against his kidney was causing him a lot of pain. And one night they took him to the ER, and uh, I remember he told me, he said, whenever he got there, they gave him a shot of morphine, and the morphine didn't even touch it. You know, morphine's pretty powerful. And they, so they'd give him stuff more powerful than morphine, which I didn't even know they had anything more powerful than morphine. So then they uh, metaflighted him up to Oklahoma City at the Mercy Hospital. They did a bunch of scans. He was there for several days. I don't remember how many days. And uh, so we got there. And, and you know, it's, we were very hopeful all the way through. And the reason I say that is because every time you meet with someone, it's kind of like, okay, this happened, but we're going to do this to try to fix it. So there's always kind of giving us a little bit of hope. And you keep thinking, all right. Here's our plan. It's like you always kind of had a plan of which way you're going to go. And it seemed just every time they'd come up with something, we're like, all right, we're going to try to get him, uh, we to get him on chemo as soon as possible. We can shrink those tumors and start taking the pain away. He got to the point where he was on so much pain medicine. I mean, you just, you know, you're just exhausted and he's tired and sleeping a lot. It wasn't really himself. And uh, so, so they started that, they had a plan, said, all right, we're going to start this uh, chemo. And I think there was some other sort of new treatment maybe that he was going to try at Mercy. And so it was going to work out because he could just drive up there every two weeks or however many weeks and do his chemo and stay at home and be able to do his stuff, finish writing his books that he was wanting to write. And then so he came home from Oklahoma City. And the last time I saw him was in Oklahoma City. And at that point, he, he still seemed normal. He still had... Uh, you know, sense of humor and everything. And so he's, you know, he's still my grandpa there. And uh, so he went back home. I think he started having some more pains again. And uh, they have a friend, that, Susie Brewster. I don't know if y'all know Bill and Susie Brewster, but uh, she said, Hey, we think we can get you into MD Anderson. We got a plane ready. And I think he flew out. There was a, in the morning, and she called, told, called and told him. And then they, uh, later that afternoon, he was in Houston. They had a plane in Ardmore. And, they flew him up to Indy Anderson, and which I was a little worried about because now he is, what, six and a half hours away or so? You know, that's a lot further than an hour away where he lives in Marietta. So I know I wasn't going to see him as much if he stayed in, in uh, Houston as much. So they flew him out there, and uh, they got him in, which is a good thing because he started having more pain. I mean, it just really went downhill. 
So, I mean, it was just one thing after another. It was like kind of like a snowball effect. It started kind of small, and it just kept tumbling, getting bigger and bigger. And uh, So, I never really got, I never got a chance to go see him down at MD Anderson just because life and we still had family down there, lots of friends. It just – by the time it was my time to go down there, uh, mom said his white blood count, white blood cell count was so low that that really don't want to be seeing him. And so, you know, the last time I saw him, we really thought that we we're gonna get quite a bit more time with him, and we we're gonna get to see Marietta. And uh, so then all this stuff started hitting me. It's like I may not get to see him again. And uh, I guess it wasn't last week, but the week before last. I think it was probably when he was at his worst. So he started chemo and stuff, and uh, he was just really, really sick. And uh, he started losing weight, and I think they cut his hair. And so, you know, that's he just, he just started getting really weak, and he couldn't talk, and he just slept all day. Or he wouldn't sleep, but he just, you know, I don't know. I've never been through that stuff, but he wasn't sleeping, but he kind of was sleeping. He'd have these really awful nightmares, and he'd wake up kind of in a panic, and uh, which he told me yesterday, or the other day that so it was one of the deepest, uh, darkest places he'd ever been in his life was whenever he was in the hospital doing that chemo. Anyways, so uh, he went through the chemo. I called. I got. I did get a chance to talk to him, which I didn't think I would. And I pretty much told him goodbye. I never thought I'd get to see him again. And so I'm kind of made peace with he's probably not going to make it throughout the night or the next day. And so that was that was really tough. And it was that last week, I remember I was, I was in a dark place too, and it was very similar to the same dark place I was in where I was going through all the eating disorder stuff. It was a, kind of like an old friend, I guess you could say, very familiar. But uh, so, you know, I pretty much told him goodbye, and I never thought I'd get to see him again until one day when I get in heaven. And uh, kind of kept waiting, didn't hear anything for a couple of days, and he started kind of getting better. And uh, throughout the whole time, I kept praying. I was like, Lord, just let me see him one more time, just one more time. And so I just wanted to just let me tell him goodbye in person. And so I never thought I'd get to do that. I never thought I'd get to see him or touch him ever again. And uh, uh, so after I told him goodbye a couple of days later, he started kind of getting a little bit better and got to the point because they, they decided just to stop chemo because it really wasn't working. And uh, so they stopped the chemo, and I think they took some other drugs away. And so once they took all the drugs away, he started getting better and stronger. And now he was able to actually come home. So Thursday night, I got a call last about a week ago saying, "Hey, he's probably going to come home this week if we get all the paper filled out." And I was like super ecstatic. But even as hopeful as I was, it seemed like everything had happened. Even though we'd have a little bit of hope on something, then but it wouldn't work out. And uh, when well, he got to come home Thursday, so I drove up there after work and we got him in, and he's as clear-headed as ever, cracking jokes, and it was really, it was a really good time, and I'm really glad I got that chance with him. And so I, you know, I, I thought, well, you know, God answered my prayer. I got to see him one more time. But not only that, I got to spend five hours with him yesterday doing stuff around with him. We got him in a little motorized wheelchair, and he's driving around the house and that thing. And so he's he kind of come back to he's really hopeful too. And I think it's funny because he's uh, he's really he's talking about plans, trying to get out to his shop and do stuff. He's like, if I can just get out there, if I can get me a little path out there, this little wheelchair. So we're trying to build some ramps for him so he can get off into the yard and whatnot. But it's funny because even after all of that, he still hasn't lost hope. And I think you, uh, in order for hope to work, he's a uh, you have to have trust. I think trust and hope tie together really closely. 
And I think he's trusting in God that he'd give him a little more time, and he's still got all that hope. It's just, it's crazy because throughout his life, he's just learned to always trust in God, and he's always going to be hopeful. He's not going to lose that no matter what. And so, even whenever he can hardly even get out of a bed by himself, well, we're going to help him get out and share and stuff, that uh, he's still hopeful that he's going to get to do these things. And it's, I think it's just, it's amazing to see he hasn't lost hope. And it really gives me assurance that. I'm not going to lose hope. And I'm going to trust in God that God's going to do the right thing. I'm hopeful that, you know, I'll get to see him, you know, a lot more. Maybe he'll, he will get stronger. Who knows that we'll be able to actually go do some stuff together. And uh, But I know I'm trusting God that he's going to do whatever's right. And we're going through all this for a reason. So, but. How many of y'all have been uh, disappointed by hope, by hoping in, in something that didn't pan out? You can raise your hand if you want to. Me, yeah. I think everybody in this room can say that. Uh, we're going to look at one more verse. I know we're running short on time, but Romans 5, 5. Um, and hope does not disappoint us. Well, we can stop right there and look at that sentence and go, what? <laughs> yes, it does. I've been disappointed by hoping a lot of times. But what this is looking at is uh, because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. So what are we hoping in? And if you read Romans in its entirety, that's, you see that theme over and over again. And what Mark has been talking about, knowing who we are in Christ, being sober-minded, thinking of ourselves in a way that we're not higher or lower than anyone else. We're, we're people, we're creation the same as anyone else. And we're all, we've all been created for the same purpose, and that's for, to have a relationship in, with God in Christ. So if hope does not disappoint us, then why are we hoping in the wrong things? If you're getting disappointed in hope, then you're hoping in the wrong things. And I've done that. Every one of us have done that. But what can we hope in that we know is not going to disappoint us? It's the one thing that we know will not change. I can hope in being an NBA star. And at 30 years old, as an ag teacher in Toke, Oklahoma, the odds are pretty slim. And if I put all my hope in that, then I would be very disappointed. Um, you heard the expression, don't put all your eggs in one basket. Um, because if you drop it, they're all going to break, right? Um, there is one basket we can put all of our hope in. That's kind of the exception to the rule. When we have a plan that's worldly and we know that no matter what, we're going to go down this path, we've got to be willing to have a backup plan at some point because somewhere down the road, that's going to change. God's not. And that's where I want to leave us with today. I was going to share, he talked about his grandpa, and a few years ago, my, my grandmother passed away. She was 93, and we were very close. I spent a lot of time at her house, and I've shared that over and over with you guys. Um, but sitting there in a hospital room knowing hospice has come in, um, it's time. It's just the waiting game now. And sitting there by her bed, just watching her, like you said, lay there, mm -hmm. not really asleep, but not really with us. And just sometimes seeing the peace that was on her face um, that I didn't have. And I had no hope in sitting down and talking with her again. But I had hope that I would see her again because I, my hope was in Christ. And that's the only thing, I mean, emotionally, that even got me to a place where I was okay with it. Because she told us over and over again before we got to that point that she knew it was coming and she was okay. She knew that she was going to get to be with Jesus. She's going to get to see her husband again. And you see all the hope that, that they get when people are true believers and they really have faith in God. Death does not scare them. And I've known, I've got to witness a few people that are like that. And it blows my mind because I don't know if I'm there yet. I'm, I'm scared to death. And I think a lot of us, if we're, if we're honest about it, we are too. Uh, not only for myself, but losing people that I love. 
that's even scarier. And to see them have so much peace and so much hope in what's to come um, encourages me because you see that their hope is the kind of Romans 5, 5, or their, their hope is the kind of hope that does not disappoint because they place their eggs in the right basket. And that's what the, the stories we've shared this morning um, and the stories that we'll continue to share and they'll continue to change um, are all situational and conditional. But I think they apply to everyone in this room. And the reason for that is we've hoped in the wrong things a lot of times. And the only way that we're going to stop being disappointed by this world is to start hoping in the one thing that doesn't change. The world's evil, and it will be until he comes back. But our hope is not in this world. Our hope is with him. So Crystal's going to play a video in over four or five minutes over time. You may be late to lunch, but uh, uh, we're going to hope that you don't care. <laughs> we're we're going to play this video, and it's called All My Hope. And the, the song they sang earlier, Jesus, We Love You, The Hopeless Have Found Their Hope. Um, yeah, that's what we need to find. We, we need to find our hope in Jesus and nothing else, because nothing else matters. So listen to this song, and then I'll wrap this up, and I hope you guys have, have been blessed by today.
Thank you, Crystal. Thank you. Uh, I love that song. And uh, I hope that's where we can be today is, is knowing that if you're someone that gets disappointed over and over and over in this world, um, that's not going to change. And I know that sounds pretty hopeless. But when you're dealing with people and you're dealing with the world, there's going to be heartbreak. There's going to be disappointment. But when you're dealing with God, there's not going to be. Because you can look past the world and see him because he's bigger than any of that. So, Tyler, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for your heart to share. Um, y'all give him a round of applause, please. Let me give this guy a round of applause. He's up here every week. Um, thank you. We're blessed by Tyler and blessed by all you that are here this morning. And uh, find your hope in Christ. And don't sway from it. And when you do, look for him again because he's still there. Um, so I'm going to pray for us. Thank you all. Lord, we come today just thanking you for the hope that we have in you. God, I pray that if someone in this room today does not have that hope, God, that you would show them yourself in a way that they've never seen. God, whether that be by any means necessary through, through someone loving them, God, or through just God just being present in their heart. God, I pray that you're present in all of our hearts this morning. God, uh, we love you when you're subtle. And God, we love you when you're in your face. And we appreciate that you approach us both ways. God, thank you that the things of this world are not the things that really matter. God, thank you that the disappointment that we felt in this life, God, is not going to be what we feel when we're with you. God, thank you for the hope that we have in knowing that you died on a cross to cover our sins, and there's nothing we can do to change that. And God, thank you for giving us the free choice to accept the grace that you give. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, thank you, guys. You'll have a good week. And don't forget July 7th. Um, come help us feed a toka. 9 o'clock a.m. at the Toka Coal Association Building. I've been here.